Welcome to episode 28 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we will be honoring Regina King and her Oscar winning performance as Sharon Rivers in If Beale Street Could Talk from 2018. Written and directed by Barry Jenkins, Beale Street was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Score at the 91st Academy Awards, while Regina King got the win over Amy Adams, Marina De Tavera, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weisz for Best Supporting Actors. Connor and I actually got to see this film at the Bijou here in San Antonio a couple years ago. Uh, that's weird to think about. <laughs> yeah, this new normal, like going to the movies just, you know, as a casual thing really does seem so long ago. It's fucked up. Yeah, the, the Bijou is a, you know, lovely theater, Santico's owned and uh, is connected to a mall here in San Antonio and uh, you know, I've been going there since 2014 and it, it typically shows, you know, films like this, right. You know, um, that aren't going to get the huge box office numbers. So, you know, seeing Beale street in theaters was a treat and, you know, it was just you and I, and we had a little date <laughs> and it was, you know, it's, it's a lovely film. Um, it's one that I feel pretty intensely about. I, I much by James Baldwin, uh, Barry Jenkins, you know, adapts it and does it wonderfully, you know, wonderful homage to James Baldwin as an artist. And of course, at the end of the film, after the, you know, the credits before they start rolling, it says for Jimmy, it's just, it's very cool to see all of that unfold as I'm a big fan of his, of Baldwin and Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins, of course, is the writer director of Moonlight best picture winner from 2016. The guy's a, you know, rock star. I can't wait to see what he does next, but uh, Connor, how do you feel about Beale street? Uh, as, as you know, a couple years have passed now. Um, well, when I did see it initially, um, I knew nothing about it. I did not, I wasn't going to see it until you invited me to see it. And I thought, you know, hell, hell why not? I never pass up a movie. And <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was good, but I haven't really thought about it since I saw it. It was, it was a movie that was good, but didn't really stick with me. And I don't know if that's just me or like whatever but it, it probably is just me because i have nothing to like connect me to this movie really yeah that's that's any, totally fair i've never read james baldwin i don't have that kind of life experience to me it was just a movie but i understand why people would you know resonate with this there is a lot to take away from this movie but personally i didn't really take away much that's fair. That's fair. I understand. I, I read the book, you know, not too long before the movie came out. And, you know, I've Go Tell in the Mountain, another novel by Baldwin that I've that I've enjoyed for a while. And you know, he's got tons of essays that are great. There's the documentary from 2016, I Am Not Your Negro, uh, in which, you know, features a bunch of footage of Mr. James Baldwin talking. And the man's a genius, you know, the way he's able to carry himself and see the bigger picture of, of what's happening here in the United States while he was living in, in France for over half of his life. Uh, his, his awareness is, is on a different level, man. And I, I'm really glad I, I know you got to see that, uh, see that documentary. What'd you think of that one? That move, that documentary really pissed me off. And I had, I wish that I had watched that before I saw Beale street the first time, because I watched yeah. Beale street the day after I watched this and Holy shit. It really does paint this story in a new light. Now that I understand who James Baldwin was and what his struggle was, I 
I understood it a lot more. I, I connected with it a bit more. So it definitely, if you're going to watch If Bill Street Could Talk with no prior knowledge, pair it with this doc. They're both, uh, yeah. they're both on Hulu. Um, yeah. Give it a shot because it really does enhance the experience. It's a brutal, unforgiving look at the civil rights movement of the 60s and how, like, what James Baldwin saw in it and how he was kind of on the outside looking in through most of that. And yes. it really was fascinating. Yeah, an amazing documentary that was up for Best Documentary at the Oscars in 2016, up against 13th by Ava DuVernay, and then uh, lost to O.J. Made in America, this fucking five-part you know, masterpiece. That, <laughs> that was just a really heavy, heavy year. Uh, I, I agree with you, man. I think it's a, it's a double feature that you know, any American should, should check out. Uh, I'm Not Your Negro and then Beale Street. Because, you know, it's, it's very hard to adapt Baldwin's work to, to the screen. The way he writes is unlike anybody else. And, you know, Barry Jenkins is the guy to do it. A guy who's in his prime right now. He's just about 40 years old and coming off, you know, winning a be- you know, Best Picture with Moonlight and all kinds of praise for that film. And I, I, I think it's just a, a wonderful time what, what's happening, what can happen in film, you know, um, we have yet to highlight, you know, a film as black as this one uh, here, here on Oscar Sunday. And, and, you know, we know what we're fucking with here. We, we know that the Oscars are not fair. We know this. That's why every fucking person of color that has one is going to get their own episode. You, you know, you can bet every fucking dollar in your pocket on that, you know. Uh, and that's why we're starting here with Regina King, because she, she, quite frankly, gives my favorite, um, as far as the black females to win, she gives my favorite performance of all time, of the winners. And we're going to talk about those later. We're going to talk a lot about Beale Street, get some awards out. But I, I do want to talk about Regina King, man. I think she's been overlooked her entire career, uh, starting, you know, going way back to, you know, fucking Friday, 1995. <laughs> I just want to talk about bounce around her filmography a little bit before we go back to the Beale street world. Um, do, do you have anything uh, that kind of stands out to you? I know you're a Friday fan. I am a Friday fan, but admittedly Regina King has never really stood out to me. And I don't know if it's because I've never really been looking for her or I just haven't seen enough of her work, but she's an actress who I, I've never really noticed. And I don't think I'm alone in that. No, no, you're not, man. No, I, I, I think this episode, I chose her on purpose. You know, there's you know, Viola Davis was someone we thought about, right. That we, that we love, that we want to, we want to honor in the future. There's, there's plenty of women. Um, Halle Berry someone we, we really love. We want to honor in the future, but Regina King is someone that I thought would be, would be interesting because I, I, I agree with you. I think she's gone under the radar and, and people just haven't really gotten to see her shine properly. And she's, she's just now, especially in the TV world, getting her fucking due, man. Uh, this woman is talented as hell. She's uh, almost 50 years old now. And it just is just a stellar performer. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go through her first, uh, her debut is Boys in the Hood. Come on. Um, you start off with that film, of course. Uh, you, you've seen that one, correct? No. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Boys in the Hood, we, we'll, we'll get its own episode. John Singleton, you know, that's a film that could, could definitely get its own uh, 
episode on Oscar Sunday. I intend on doing that one day, especially now that I know you haven't seen it. Uh, you got Poetic Justice. She's uh, friends with Janet Jackson in that film and Tupac. Unbelievable performance. Love her in that. Higher Learning. <laughs> Boy, that's a, that's a stellar film as well. Have you seen Higher Learning? I think you'd like that one. I have not. This, this episode is going to make me look bad, I can tell. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Fr- Friday. Friday. Here, I have seen here, Friday. Here's where we can talk a little bit. Okay, so so Friday, she's you know playing the sister obviously of Ice Cube, right? And she she's able to play sister, mother, aunt, whatever whatever you need, daughter, so well. And it, you know it starts right here at the beginning of her career, playing a lot of sister and daughter uh, in these these movies. And, and Friday is great, man. Friday's awesome, and uh, weird that we bring up Friday when uh, Tommy Lister just died. Uh, of course, we have to bring that up, Debo. Um, legendary performance in that film and just sucks anytime you you see shit like that i mean i mean i was we were just talking about dark knight he's in that shit too you know he just kind of bounced around all over the place the guy um sucks man yeah had to be brought up here when we uh, bring up friday of course two weeks ago we we just did the fifth element like it's the weirdest timing it's the president president of the fucking universe yeah rest in peace Dude was a dude was a fucking baller. Yeah, yeah, it's ah oh man, Debo. God, what a what a character, you know? Oh, that bike. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love Friday. Of course, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, Jerry Maguire, Regina King uh, is acting alongside Tommy Cruise, Cuba Gooding Jr. There, uh, Enemy of the State, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Mayu Joe Young. Love in action in Chicago, down to earth, turn around. Come on. <laughs> you know, this is crazy. <laughs> she moves into the, uh, into the uh, 2000s here. And we see, we see daddy daycare, legally blonde to a Cinderella story. And, you know, th- those aren't all for me. Uh, but then you have Ray in 2004, where she is just s- stellar alongside Jamie Foxx in that movie. Another film that I would love to bring up on this podcast. Yeah, Ray is fucking awesome. It's been too long. Uh, I only really, you know, remember highlights. It's been a long time since I saw that movie, but I, I do remember really, really liking it. That's pre-website. Like, that's how long ago it's been since I saw that movie. And it is, it's awesome. Uh, I, I, I stand behind Jamie Foxx 100% on that Oscar. And uh, yeah, just a really cool, I think, underrated biopic of just an awesome, awesome musician. Hell yeah. Oh, well said. I, I agree with you. Fox deserved that. And I would love to really take a deep, deep look at that and uh, get that certified. Uh, <laughs> Regina, Regina also appeared uh, in 2005, uh, Miss Congeniality 2, uh, Year of the Dog in 2007, This Christmas 2007, Our Family Wedding, uh, Keeps It Moving, does some work in TV, Southland, Shameless. She uh, works on a TV movie, The Gabble. Gabby Douglas story. Of course, she's the voice of Riley and Huey Freeman and the Boondocks. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so cool. Uh, does, does all kinds of TV work. She's in the leftovers from HBO. Uh, that's what kind of opens up the door for the Watchmen to happen. Uh, that awesome role that she has. I, I just, I think she's underrated as hell, man. I think when you look at all these things that are happening, how consistent she's been for 25 years now straight, in both film and TV, I, I think she, you know, she, she deserves some props. Yeah. Yeah. But again, like throughout that filmography, 
I don't, there's very little that stands out to me. Like a lot of that is fluff and paycheck gigs. And I don't know. I think I just have, I really have to see the right stuff to see. Like, cause yeah. I did think like she was amazing in Beale street, but that is really it for me. Like I, I, I have to see a certain, like certain films in order to really appreciate her. I like her, I like her early run. The Boys in the Hood, Higher Learning Friday, Poetic Justice, that run, I, I adore everything she's doing uh, during that early 90s, mid-90s run. And then, of course, the Beale Street, 2018, just kind of, you know, blew me away. It, but but showed, me, showed me what she could do, but what I always knew she could do. You know what I mean? Uh, I knew she had it the entire time. It just it, it still wowed me, though. Well, that's good. I can, you know, I'm, I understand why you chose this movie. This has a very, it's almost like, you know, it's a long time coming for you. Like definitely like you were pushing for this, for her. I remember back in the day when we saw this, like you were really excited. And uh, yeah, when she, when she won the golden globe and the Oscar, I was, I was pumped, man. I was excited for her and she was excited. She was fucking grateful and her speeches were incredible. I just, yeah, she deserved that shit, you know, um, which is funny because I, I think as we talk about Beale Street itself, I think it has just so much more to offer than people, you know, gave it credit. I think there's like 10 amazing performances inside of it. <laughs> and Regina King is one of them. Uh, and she's the one who won. She's the one who got the spotlight at the Oscars. And that's why we're spotlighting her here, you know, uh, yeah, man, I, I really dig Regina. I'm excited for the future. I think she's going to have an awesome, you know, latter part of her career. I just, you know, I like she's almost 50 now. Um, you know, I think she's she's ready to really, really do some st- more stuff like Beale Street and, you know, keep wowing people and trying to win some awards. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there are the performers in the past who have had their careers almost upended by an Oscar win. I don't think she's going to be one. Yeah. No, yes, I agree with you. I agree with you on that one, man. Well, uh, Beale Street has the three three nominations altogether. Of course, Regina wins. I, I do I want to talk about the other two because we we have some we have some say here. We've seen these films. Yes, we have. <laughs> this is this is 2018. You and I were seeing a lot of movies together. Uh, we were working at Alma Draft House uh, during a good chunk of that year. We both actually left later in 2018, but uh, that's when we really started to uh, figure out what we wanted to do with the podcast together. Um, yeah, this is a, a really fun time. I'll, I'll finally remember all of these movies, you know, Vice and Roma and The Favorite, just uh, seeing them in theaters and having a blast. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, those were the days back when, you know, everything was fine. When the mo- like the movie industry was booming and we were, you know, just starting to put this together. And uh, yeah, those were the days. We've I, we've grown so much as movie fans since then. Like everything we've seen since then has really changed us. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, since then, uh, things have, I would say, changed drastically for both of us as as movie fans. Like our our hunger and taste has has just broadened, you know. And we kind of don't have a, uh, you know don't have a specific thing we want each time. We're just, we're just going for it. <laughs> just trying to, trying to consume different things and be surprised. That's kind of, that's kind of how we've, we've had fun that way. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's an ongoing exploration. And there's yeah. always going to be uncharted territory. And it's so much fun to mine that uncharted territory because you, you never know what you're going to get. You never know when you're going to find a new director or a new leading man or a new leading woman who you just fall in love with. And it's, it's always new and it's always fun. Yeah. Yeah, man. So cool. I love it. And this, this is cool. Cause there's, there's actually a couple films here that I don't think we've ever talked about on Oscar Sunday uh, with the best original score. Yes. This is, this is a cool group. <laughs> this is a neat group. Yes. Best original score. We have, Mark Shaman for Mary Poppins Returns, Alexandre de Desplat for Isle of Dogs, Nicholas Bertel for If Beale Street Could Talk, Terrence Blanchard for Black Klansman, and the winner, Ludwig Gorenson for Black Panther. Um, I have not seen Isle of Dogs, but I have seen the other four. And as beautiful and really kind of haunting as Nicholas Bertel's score is for this movie, I do give it to Black Panther. I, yeah, I can't argue with this and i you know of course we got to talk about black panther uh you know in depth on an episode after after chadwick uh passed away and rest in peace to the king man um all this all this marvel news i i feel like he you know he's somewhere applauding that shit um yeah i don't think i don't think anyone can really say that this is wrong Ludwig uh, and what's going on in Black Panther all together with with the uh, with the score is it's superb and it's possibly the best part of the entire film. So <laughs> totally get it. Uh, as far as what we're talking about here with Beale Street, Nicholas Bertel is a very gifted composer who's who's going to be around for a long time. He's he also worked on Moonlight and uh, he he does the famous Succession, the HBO show Succession uh, theme song. That is just, it fucking slaps. Yeah. And he, he's, he's got kind of a, a, a weird, <laughs> he's got a weird, you know, sense for sounds that you, when you look at the guy, you wouldn't think that he would know how to get these sounds to make sense with what's happening on the screen. And that's kind of how I feel about Ludwig, right? This long haired white dude. <laughs> it's just, I think he's from Sweden. Yep. Um, is just like this this genius composer and is able to connect and listen and, and apply the sounds. And uh, that's what Nick, uh, Nicholas Bertel does as well. And this is a good group. Isle of Dogs, you got to see. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy that movie. I actually, I think it'll be one of your favorite Wes Anderson movies. Um, mainly because of the voice cast. Jesus Christ, you got your boy Brian Cranston and Jeff Goldblum. Come on. <laughs> Edward Norton, yikes bill murray um yeah you know again you can't you can't argue with it mary poppins though i remember you really digging that movie well or or, or am i mistaken am i mistaken am i thinking of a different one i thought you really dug this in theaters it was good it was very good but i haven't watched it since i saw it at the movies it's a very forgettable Uh, and um one and one and done yeah it it was it's good but the shadow of Mary Poppins 1964 is looming over it like a goddamn hurricane. It never has a chance to be its own movie. Um, it sacrifices an, like a great opportunity for a Julie Andrews cameo at the end. We get Angela Lansbury, but it's, it's not the same. And it just feels like it's trying too hard, but it is entertaining. 
Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, I'd say it's forgettable too. This, this came out while we were working and I remember seeing it just kind of like on a random Tuesday or something. And I was, this is, this is cute, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Not totally for me. Black Klansman, Terrence Blanchard, this guy, we've talked about Terrence before uh, when we talked about Defive Bloods, because Terrence is a guy who works, has worked with Spike Lee, you know, numerous times and just, he, he totally understands the meaning of, you know, a classic score, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the way he's able to, to use, you know, brass, the brass instru- instruments, uh, uh, similar to what Nicholas Patel is doing in, in, um, in Beale Street. It just, just feels nice, feels right, right? When you're in the theater, surround sound, and you got all those strings and all that, those horns going around you, it's, it's just perfect. It is. It's surreal. Black Klansman was such a satisfying movie. It's such a bitchin' adventure, almost. Yeah. And it's one I very much would like to spotlight on this show in the near future. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, we can, we can, we can always do Spike anytime. <laughs> Any, anytime you want to do Spike, we can always throw a Spike movie on, uh, onto, onto Filmgasm if you want. <laughs> oh man, yeah, this is this is a cool group. I, you know, I'm very glad Bertel got in there, but but Ludwig, Ludwig's doing special stuff. Um, that's uh, let's talk about uh, the screenplay. All right, best adapted screenplay. This is another very interesting bunch. We have A Star is Born, If Beale Street Could Talk, Can You Ever Forgive Me, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and the winner, Black Klansman. Spike Lee finally taking home gold for the first time in his career. It's a big moment. And yeah, I mean, hard to argue with that. I mean, he really did kill it on the Black Klansman screenplay. That movie is a very strongly written film. And um, the only one I, I kind of don't really... I haven't seen Can You Ever Forgive Me? I've heard great things. I think Bradley Cooper did a great job with A Star is Born making it his own. And um, Buster Scruggs, I think it's odd that that's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is that, that is definitely the odd one in this group. You think that's the only anthology movie like to ever be here, like in the screenplay category? It's got to be. That would be a fascinating, just little, little, you know, half half assed research, you know, just kind of scroll <laughs> through. Cause I, I, that's a great question. I haven't really thought about that. Yeah. There's one thing we fucking excel at. It's half assed research. <laughs> fucking A. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you, can you ever forgive me? I, I, I do think you'd like uh, Nicole, never known how to properly say her name. Hol- Holof Center. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, finally watched some of her films uh like not that long ago uh you know friends with money please give and she's you know i like her i like i I like i like what she has to offer and i think when she's uh you know she didn't direct that film i think when she's um you know working on just the script and maybe has someone to work with i I really like can you ever forgive me i I think that'd be a cool one because mccarthy was up for best actor so i think that'd be a fun one to to talk about one day on this show uh stars born dude man just uh just such a heartbreaking adaptation uh, of of a film that's been it's been made four times now like and 
from what I've seen, you know, this it has the strongest stuff to offer as far as the dialogue because it's Cooper and Gaga just you know getting after it. It's it's incredible, man. Um, but but Klansman in the Spike Lee moment is so cool, right? You know, having him having him get this win later on in his career with with these cats, it's it's cool. It's really cool to have that moment. This is such a fascinating group. Truly, truly, and um, I mean, just to have that moment where of all people, Samuel L. Jackson presents Spike Lee. Exactly. exactly. I mean, it's hard to not, you know, it's hard to take that moment away. And uh, yeah, I still, I I give this to Black Klansman. I think the Oscars were on point uh, some of the time on this, on this show. Yeah, no, I I do. I do think we, we, you know, we're always going to shit talk the Oscars, but there are times of course, when they, they put a certain group of five in there, there are times that they, they get it right within those five for sure. Yeah, I think so. But I know that you have particularly negative feelings towards this award show. Yes. The, 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 yeah, there's a couple, actually there's, there's three or four that, yeah, I have, I have issues with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can talk about them. We, they don't really get touched here. So <laughs> One day, you know, the best picture showdown of this award show is going to be fun. <laughs> Will it be fun or, or you know, because I, I don't... <laughs> let me rephrase that. It'll be fun for me. <laughs> no, I'll have a I'll, I'll watch Vice, A Star is Born, Roma, the favorite Black Klansman and Black Panther. But Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book, her, they don't belong. They don't belong. <laughs> oh. uh, I feel like we've been teasing that conversation for so long that one day we're, we need to do that just to finally get that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, you know, whenever we do, people know, you know, um, how, how I feel. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to hide it. I just don't really respect green book too much. Uh, I think, I think Vigo and Mahershala are both doing, doing great shit with what they got. Great shit. But it, it's a, I think it's a cheese fest most of the time. And, and I, I find a lot of it to be, uh, you know, white saviory. And that's not, that's not my bag. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, I just don't think is that well made. And I think Rami Malek is not even, not even trying half the time and he won. So that, that's, that's really frustrating. I know, I, I know you feel similarly about that one because Bradley Cooper and Christian Bale, what they're doing is, 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 you know, serious serious stuff and i think rami malik not singing is just a fucking shame yeah i agree with that big time i didn't know that when i saw the movie so my yeah yeah me neither <laughs> my score reflects knowledge i did not have at the time so it may be time to reevaluate that and maybe give it a new review well, well okay you know yeah since like you said since we're kind of just talking about a lot maybe we'll just fucking schedule this sometime soon i don't i don't mind doing that you know uh <laughs> It is a fascinating debate, um, and it would be, you know, maybe I should revisit Green Book. Maybe I should because I, I I watched it in theaters and I was like, mm, don't know about this, and the and the fact that like everyone that you know was walking out of the theater was, you know, you know, this is how a lot a lot of theaters you know are during the day, you know, is forty to sixty year old white people at the theater and they're all walking out like that was nice, you know, and you're like, oh god. Uh, you know, it's just that I felt felt kind of lazy, especially compared to some of the other stuff here. 
fair enough. I have, I have different feelings towards green book, but I have, you know, a different approach I took to it. And uh, yeah, I think maybe I'll save that for, for the future. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spend all my money in one place here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't want to go into actually yeah, all the green book issues, but uh, yeah, there, there are some, I, I do, you know, like I said, Marshall Lee is great. He wins. Olivia Coleman wins for, for best actress. That's awesome. But uh, let's talk about, let's talk about the one that Regina won. Let's talk about that group. This is interesting. I have seen all of these films. Same. Uh, yes. We have Rachel Weiss for the favorite. Emma Stone for the favorite, Marina de Tavira for Roma, Amy Adams for Vice, the winner, Regina King, and Beale Street Could Talk. So, the favorite is an oddball. It is a very strange movie. It's a weird biopic of Queen Anne by way of Yorgos Lanthimos. And <laughs> it is a divisive one. My mom, who is a huge fan of period films, particularly period films that take place in England, was not a fan. Oh, this is yeah, a different, different take. Yeah. Whereas I, who can kind of like take it or leave it with that Jane Austen stuff, thought this was great. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and mostly due to the performances. I'm very glad Olivia Coleman took home gold for this. But Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone both play such despicable bitches. <laughs> and oh, yeah, they're great. They do a great job. Uh, I'm glad they were, rep- you know, recognized here. Um, same same i i I gave i give this movie a 10 when i reviewed it and i stand by that shit i think it's a masterpiece i think yorgos is a uh, absolute mastermind uh anything the dude touches for me has has been has been in some way special uh dogtooth and alps and the lobster and killing of sacred deer and and now now the favorite you know he's like he's always surprising me and I, I, I love that in a filmmaker and the favorites probably his most precise and well-rounded film, you know, uh, with, with the best performances. I agree. I agree. And I've seen a, a handful of his movies now and yeah, he's a guy you, you do not like, you don't know any, what to expect when you go into his films, especially if you go in blind. And I did every time. <laughs> that's that but that's that's like it's that's the rewarding part because if you're down you're down and it's oh man it's rewarding because he is gonna take it there he's gonna you know and don't watch it you know on an empty stomach like he he's you know he's not afraid to take it to weird places too like horror and th- and that's why i love that he's able to he's a kind of guy a, a genre kind of filmmaker who can go get into the oscars you know he can bridge that gap of you know oscar bait and and what genre film you know he can he can be the guy who you know intertwines and i I love that about him absolutely marina de tavira i remember when the announcements were made that she was a big surprise to a lot of people they did not expect her to get nominated because i don't think she'd been nominated for anything else over the course of the award season and she was really good she is she's a very layered character in roma uh, Sophia, that you hate her at times, you like her at times, but you, as I recall, it's been a while since I saw Roma, but as I recall, I know, I think she, uh, she was very dedicated to her family mm-hmm. and you never doubted that. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that she was recognized. I'm glad that her and um, Yelitsa Aparicio was also nominated. 
Uh, yeah, Roma's. Uh, well, you know, there's there's not a whole lot I can say. I I, I think that's the one that should have should have won Best Picture. Uh, I think as years pass, I think we're gonna look back at that one and be like, hmm, that was silly. That's Alfonso Cuarón's masterpiece. What are we doing? And, you know, I think it happens. I, I'm just I'm just making a prediction. I think it happens with the Oscars where we, we just kind of make those mistakes of like, oh, wow, we had a moment there where we could have given it to something truly, truly special. A, Roma, yeah, another film that's not not for the, you know, uh, weaker minded, <laughs> yeah. like like the favorite, you know, uh, empty stomach. Don't do it, <laughs> you know. It's 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 a tough watch, but a technical you know masterpiece from Quaron, and I I have mad respect for Yelitsa and Marina both being nominated because it sh- it shows it shows the unbiased to you know um, it shows a little bit of growth in the Academy it shows that there's a little bit of unbiased to oh we could choose this superstar or we could choose this performance from this woman from Mexico two women from Mexico, you know, and, and really recognize them for what they've done, you know, in this, in this film. And I, I really respect that. I think those are the little things that you can look at from the, the Academy as the years, you know, in the past few years, of course, Parasite getting the fucking win last year. Amazing. Those are the little steps that we need to take, you know what I mean, Connor? And I, I love that. I love when Marina de Tavera is, is nominated and you're like, Oh, whoa. And then she's next to these four very recognizable names that are in movies nonstop. So I really like that. I think that shows growth. Yeah, for sure. It definitely shows growth. There's a lot in this award show that shows progress, but then also a lot that's you yes. know, consistent with the Oscars kind of shooting itself in the foot every couple of years. Yeah. And I don't know if it's ever going to have, you know, and if we're going to push in the right direction entirely, I mean, there's, you know, bits from last year's Oscars that I think, you know, could have gone differently, should have gone differently, but um, overall, you know, better than it has been in the past, definitely working towards progress in a way that they haven't, but this was only two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. I think we're going to look back and think, you know, no, Rami Malek should not have taken Best Actor. No, Green Book should not have taken Best Picture. Uh, I go and think, you know, I, I don't think Mahershala should have taken Best Supporting Actor for this one. As cool oh, as he is, I know, I think this I think this should have gone to Sam Elliott, personally. Right? Good God. <laughs> I, I think this one's kind of, I think that's this is like a no contest with Sam Elliott. I think he kind of outshines these guys by like a mile. For one specific reason, Sam Elliott has always been the kind of quiet cowboy guy. I did not know he could go there. And he went to such a dark place for A Star is Born. I was so impressed. I knew Bradley could do it. Lady Gaga, I was pretty certain, could do it. Sam Elliott was a shock. I didn't know he could, he could do that. And I was so happy he could do it. And I was so happy when he got nominated. And, yeah, I really think he should have, he should have taken it. I think it would have been such a cool moment to see sam elliott walk away with an oscar man yeah i agree i agree i really thought that was kind of a no-brainer for me amongst that group mm. i sam rockwell like he's, he's he's good but you know not 
Adam Driver, good, but no, you know, Richard E. Grant, same thing. Sam Elliott. If we were going to take a supporter from Vice, I would have given it to Steve Carell for playing Rumsfeld. Straight up. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Well, I, you know, that's a good way to segue to our, our next person in the Best Supporting Actress lineup, Amy Adams, for her performance as Lynn Cheney in Vice. And she's who I was rooting for, for a number of reasons. One, I think she's in the top three most talented actresses working today. Two, uh, y- yes. <laughs> two, she's been denied it so many times for performances that were unreal. Three, she was such a conniving bitch. <laughs> Vice. Lynn Cheney is like the, you know, the power behind the throne, so to speak. The power behind the power behind the throne. <laughs> and it's just, it was such a, Vice was such an underrated movie. No, it did not get the credit it deserved. People called it, you know, uh, like it missed the mark. They said Christian Bale was all the, like all that really mattered to see in that movie. And I thought, no, I thought the screenplay was very smart. I thought that movie was going to make waves. And I was very disappointed it didn't. It only took home makeup. And uh, yeah, I think that was that was the film I was pushing for the most with that award show, and uh, I stick with that. Yeah, Vice is fucking awesome, and and Amy Adams is great, and she's a you know you make a great point that she's like, without a doubt, you know, as far as talent goes, she's one of the best actresses around, and and then if you just look at her pedigree with the Oscars, they would think the same thing. Uh, in two thousand six, Junebug. She's nominated. Doubt, she's nominated. The Fighter, she's nominated. The Master, she's nominated. American Hustle, she's nominated. And Vice, she's nominated. Six, but she's never won. <laughs> uh, of those, what do you think is her best performance out of those? Probably The Master. Right? Jesus <laughs> Christ, she's good in that movie. Yeah, there's a certain understated strength in that performance. And you get the vibe that like, if she wanted to, she could bring this entire organization to the ground that she, but she believes in it in such a way that it'll never happen. And I thought that was very good. I, I liked her a lot in that. Yeah, but, you me know, too. She brings a, a sort of raw power to every role she does. And I want her to be recognized for it. I want her to walk away with gold. I don't want it to end up like Peter O'Toole. I want, I want her to have gold. Yeah, I I, th- I think she will. I think I, I think she's gonna be her, you know, doing doing this shit for a while. She's gosh, she's so good, and and, and who, you know, she's someone who knows what kind of role she's gonna take on as her career keeps moving. Uh, she's in Hillbilly Elegy, right on Netflix. Hillbilly Elegy, yep, she's on that. Yeah, Elegy, yeah, yeah. So, have you seen that yet? I'm I'm gonna watch it tonight, actually. Oh, there you go, there you go. I remember you. Yeah, you mentioned that. Okay. Uh, yeah, man, I cool ass group <laughs> it is indeed and um i'm assuming you would stick with regina king yeah for sure I, I i do think this is a is a terrific performance from her but but i you know all five of these i really stand by i think they're all wonderful i, I don't feel the exact same way about the um supporting actors i don't think they're all really strong performances but but i think these women all are going for it i agree big time i think it would have been fine if any of them took home gold. I think they all did a great job, but personally, I would want Amy Adams. That's fair. That's fair. Regina, Regina and Amy. Uh, you know, hey, Regina's got the one nomination and the one win. So, hey, 
Amy can have her six. She'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That's great. This is a, this is a really fun award show because this is when you and I were, you know, starting to get to know each other really well and just going and seeing shit and working together. And it's, it's fun to go down that road. And especially with a, a year that has a winner that we disagree on. I mean, you don't think green book should have won, but you also don't pan it like I do. <laughs> I like the movie a lot. I, it made me laugh. I thought it was charming, but no, I do not think it should have taken best picture. I think the yeah. best picture of 2018, I think it should have gone to vice. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's totally fair of that group. I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Now I do think uh, before we, you know, really dig into Beale street and give our own awards out to the film and talk about it. Uh, I do think Beale street should take Bohemian Rhapsody's spot. I, I think that's like a no brainer. I also think green book should be knocked out and hereditary should be in there <laughs> because yeah. I, you, yeah, I, I just, uh, hereditary Tony Collette should have, been in the best actress group i don't know if she should have beat olivia coleman but she should be in that fucking group uh no fuck that she should have won <laughs> yeah if tony, tony collette is in there that is a surefire no contest victory that performance was one of the best of the fucking decade and uh, yes yeah. everybody knew that except the fucking oscars everybody was like why is she not there like, oh man yeah hereditary is something else and and i you know adore pretty much every single second of it and tony Klett's a big part of that ah, very frustrating you know maybe one day <laughs> what maybe one day yeah. you know you know a- a24 films get nominated and they you know of course moonlight won best picture um you know hey maybe an a24 horror movie one day can can get in there maybe one day yeah the oscars they're not going to see an a24 movie they're going to see a horror movie and that's you know red flag for them i mean it's it fucking sucks but it's it's gonna keep happening yeah yeah it's gonna get the lighthouse treatment right you know um if anything yeah yeah exactly (laughs) if if anything that's exactly right oh man i think it's gonna be a very long time before we get another get out (sighs) and that yeah i mean that's such a the timing of it uh, Peel being that his first feature film and, and the and the year it came out in which it came out and it's just perfect timing and you're you're so right man it's gonna take there might be one at some point during the 2020s but I I wouldn't fucking you know hold my breath you know it, it, it a horror movie like that it comes you know you just don't know when it's gonna come around and it's it's special when it does well even you know as a horror fan. It is so rare to see one that I think is worthy of Oscar attention. I mean, yeah, there's horror movies yeah. that I love that are great, but I don't consider them Oscar contenders. Like I love, you know, like for example, the Evil Dead franchise. Like if anything, you know, I'd shoot a nod for makeup or visual effects, but I don't think Bruce Campbell should be up for best actor. I love the guy, but no. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's it's con it's all on context, right? And you know, hereditary just happens to be one of those same level quality wise as get out so what the hell you know it's that kind of it's that kind of attitude right it's like especially tony collette if you're not going to give the film anything i mean she (laughs) yeah we could go on and on about about her we of course you know we talked about little miss sunshine we gave her some love on this show uh and she'll continue to get love because she's in so many movies that we that we like and want to (laughs) see recently uh we did uh 
Krampus on the Filmgasm podcast. Um, we did Hereditary early in our run, I think like the 18th episode. Yeah. So we've talked about Tony Collette for quite a while. <laughs> uh, we've done, we, we did uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. Yep. There's another one. Yeah. 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 She's going to pop up all the time. She's <laughs> incredible. But, uh, you know, let's, let's move, let's move, let's move back to Beale Street a little bit here. Um, so you had asked me, you know, uh, you've read the book and I was like, yes, you know, I actually bought the book maybe six months before the film came out. You know, I saw that Barry Jenkins was doing this James Baldwin thing. And I was like, oh man, I, I've been wanting to read that book. Holy shit. Barry Jenkins, this guy who made Moonlight, which I adore, not just because of the Oscar stuff, but I, I, I just love it as a film. And this guy's going to take this on. Holy hell. He's in the middle of his prime. You know, this is going to be his, his follow-up to Moonlight. And, and it, was, it was very exciting, man. It was very exciting for me. And I, I'm glad you, you said yes to going along to see it with me. I really am because that's the kind of shit you want to share with people, right? Like if you, if, uh, if you had read, you know, a, a Stephen King book, right. And, you know, there's a, there's a film adapted and I had, you know, I didn't know much about it at all. And you're like, Oh, we gotta, we gotta fucking check this out. And, you know, and it, and it fucking paid off. Right. And it like, was like, Oh, that was actually good. Like, yes, you'd be proud. You know, you'd be like, that was, that was fun. I'm cool that I got to expose my friend to that, to this world. And that's why, I, that's how I feel about Beale street, man. And I think, you know, like at the beginning of the film, you know, it says, you know, it's uh, a book, uh, a bit from the book, uh, some of James Baldwin's writings, you know, that uh, every, every, every black kid in America grows up on Beale Street, right? It's puts you in this kind of, kind of trance. Um, if you can, you know, if you, if you can, I always do, especially when, when I'm, when I'm, I know I'm watching something that's, that I need to fucking pay attention, you know? Uh, a story told by a black man in Barry Jenkins written by a black man in James Baldwin. Uh, this story deserves my, uh, you know, I, I, it, my attention, you know, I should pay attention when it's on and it, it kind of gives you that right away. And then Nicholas Bertel's score opens up and you just see this couple walking downstairs in fucking Harlem. And, you know, I get chills right now just thinking about it. It's just, that's, that's, um, that's a moment I'll really never forget just kind of that opening up to that and being like, this is, this is what I should be doing. Of course, there's a lot of movies I want to watch. There's plenty of things that I watch for entertainment, but Beale Street's a story that I should watch that I should consume. Cause it's gonna, it's going to teach me a few things. And I'm really glad that I got to take you on for that ride. Absolutely, man. Thank you. It's uh, I'm always, you know, open to, explore anything i mean you know again another movie that was the same deal was the farewell i had no intentions of seeing that i had i'd know anything about it your invite made me think all right and it ended up being a beautiful hilarious family drama that taught me a lot about the age about you know the kind of chinese heritage so there are these films that escape my radar that don't escape yours and there's movies that you know don't escape my radar and you don't end up finding out about. So we yeah. help each other with that. And I like that a lot. Straight up, man. And, and especially this show has been kind of like a way that you and I have, have been forced to uh, include one another in the journey. You know, this is, this is something that we're constantly talking about always. 
and, and I just Beale Street's just one that I'll, I'll I'll never forget because uh, whether or not I would have seen it by myself or, or or not, you know, you were there, man, and and it was one of those films that I was like, damn, I'm really glad someone saw that with me, so I can say, remember when you know this happened, <laughs> uh, and that's that's cool to have, you know, that's kind of what for me, not for everybody, but the way I interpret things, you know, I it's kind of what art art is for, is for this conversation and to discover things about each other and it happens to be moving images happen that happens to be my favorite way to you know enjoy art and it happens to be yours as well and that's that's fucking cool to find you know when someone is willing to see the stuff that maybe passed their radar uh, oh my god there's been so many movies that i wouldn't have seen that because of film gasm because of just who you are i mean you showed me owning mahoney dude owning mahoney starring philip Seymour hoffman genius gambling movie <laughs> that, that i that i know i've seen i i just hadn't heard of it really until until you know I, I met you that's that's the shit that's what we love about about this stuff um i'm, I'm really excited here to give out awards to this film um yeah. I, i'm gonna let you start with your tarantino you know if this is your first time with us thank you we give awards out to the uh base film always of course in this case it's beale street so we have the tarantino for best line or quote we have the Ennio Morricone for best music moment, which is going to be really tough this time. <laughs> we have we have the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance, and the Roger Deakins Award for what we see as the best moment or scene of the film. So, Connor, go ahead. So I have two for my best line. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, there's some profound dialogue in this film. Uh, the scene where they tell Fonny's mother that Tish is pregnant and her reaction and Frank just slapping her and she screams, you know, my, uh, the, the daughter screams her heart. And Frank goes, I think you'll find it's still pumping, but I wouldn't call it no heart. Oh, love that. Oh man. Yeah. Frank, Frank, the, the Fonny's dad is, is intense, man. You know, right from the get go has, has a, a demeanor that this guy has just been through some shit. Well, the, like, and, you know, the differing reactions of Frank being like, well, we're going to go get drunk. Yeah. And they're all happy. And she's like, you whore. And it's the only time I've ever been like, okay with domestic violence. I was like, yeah, somebody needed to slap her. It's a, uh, it's, it's a uh, man. Yeah. That scene is it's set up so beautifully. Like it's a, like it's a stage play, right? Yeah. When, when you're in the living room and, and, you know, that's the stuff Regina's really, really working it right there in those moments where getting the drinks, you know, just kind of playing off everything. And she fits so well in this setting, uh, Regina, just the way she's wearing her hair and the, the clothing fits so well. She's she's perfect for this. And I, I, I love that, man, that that line when they come over, when they call them over and the family comes over and you, you just feel the tension immediately, except for the dads. <laughs> It is, it is a powerful moment. Oh, my gosh. I will be coming back to that scene throughout. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 and it's at the very beginning, right? It is, a, it is bam. You know, it, I remember you and I were kind of like looked at each other in the theater. Okay. We, Barry Jenkins is not taking his time like he did with Moonlight. Jesus. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Yeah. Uh, well, um, my quote also comes from somewhere in that bit. <laughs> uh, 
and it's uh, my, my Tarantino goes to to uh, Regina King as Sharon Rivers, uh, and it's it's when the she pours the drinks, and you know not too much for Tish, and the dad's like what what's this all about you know, and Tish you know has her head down, is not saying anything, and Regina King of course just like has the, just the, the face she's able to read, you know, read the room. And then Sharon Rivers says, this is a sacrament. And no, I ain't, no, I ain't lost my mind. We are drinking to new life. <laughs> and that's how she tells them that Tish is pregnant, you know. Uh, and it's so organic. And then Ernestine, the sister, unbow your head, sister. Like, it's just every single line is like, whoa, 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 you know, just kind of gives you chills goosebumps over and over watching this family just kind of rally together in this very intense moment uh before before frank comes over before the family comes over and here's the news of uh, you know uh incredible stuff man uh (laughs) yeah i think we could kind of talk about that scene for like 20 minutes you know just dissect it it's amazing it really is it's it sets up the perfect uh dynamic between both of you know where tish came from and where fonny came from and yes why they found each other it's it tells you everything you need to know about this entire group of of characters that scene and i thought that was very brilliant um but my second tarantino comes from much later in the movie okay uh tish and fonny uh sleep together for the first time and he t- fonny tells her don't be scared just remember that I belong to you. Not you belong to me. I belong to you. That's one of the most profound statements of love I've ever heard in a film. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I was blown away. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I definitely thought about that one. You know, I had a few written down. and I don't even know how to describe you know what a what a brilliant brilliant love making scene um you know something that just doesn't get talked about enough in movies you know where we 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 beat around the bush and we whatever get too timid but this is this is this is art this is this is life this is um love you know like in its purest form right here is these two people just breaking their walls down when he says that Oh man, I'm like God. I'm like Brianna. I hope Willow finds a Fonny. God damn it, you know. <laughs> Fonny is um, Fonny's a wonderful character, and we we haven't really talked about Stefan James much at all because he didn't get any love whatsoever uh, as as this movie came out. Because there's just so many wonderful performances, but he he really is so necessary. What he's doing in it, and you believe every everything he's doing, man. He's incredible. Uh, incredible quote, man. Yeah, you brought me to tears there with that one. I, that one's hard to talk about, you know? It's one of those moments that kind of creates the movie. Yeah, definitely. It tells you, you know, it's another moment that sets up all you need to know. There's so much is told through so little, and I really appreciate that. This movie knows its audience. It doesn't spoon feed you anything. It, it lets you kind of make your own assumption about these people. And I like when movies do that. I like when movies lead you there without, you know, a trail of breadcrumbs. 
So I'll give it props for that. Hell yeah, man. Ah, that's cool. I think that's uh, one of the best aspects of the, you know, book to film is that James Baldwin is, is so, so good. So skilled at, at writing about two people feeling some way about one another. Uh, and, and there's moments in the book where I, I would just be brought to like, you know, just like gushing tears, like because of moments like that, where Fonny is just all about her. He is all about Tish, like 100%. I mean, he says it, you know, in the movie, he says, I got my, you know, I got my Weddle and I got Tish. Like, that's it. That's all I need. Just want to work on my, I want to work on my, you know, sculptures and my art and hang out with Tish. So it's, it's incredible. Inspiring. Yes, absolutely. That's the best word to describe it. Inspiring. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just the Tarantino. (laughs) Uh, You can do it. I believe in you. (laughs) Uh, Well, the, the, the Enyo, I think is actually just as difficult to, to pick. Yeah. What, what, what did you go with here? Did you get to narrow it down to one? I did. Um, I had it. Uh, it changed several times. But once I knew I had it, I knew I had it. And it's the bit uh, on the soundtrack. It's called Arrows. Yes. Oh, my God. I know exactly. Yeah. And it, it's the music playing when Fonny brings Tish back to his apartment for the first time. And it's transcends the movie it it's a score that literally i believe is the soundtrack to love itself it is so mind-blowing it really is ethereal it it made me kind of reflect on the like all the major relationships of my life i had this like moment of like wow so that's what it feels like like it was really amazing Oh man. Yeah. That's pretty wild. You you know, what's crazy. I, you know, I kind of felt a little bit the same way about this score, how. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of breaks you down, forces you to confront some stuff and reflect. And I looked up, you know, I, I noticed some of the, some of the titles in the score and, you know, they're, some of them are Greek. I was like, okay, what's this about? And Bertel and Jenkins, for some of the the titles chose like uh, ancient Greek words that, that like represent love, like agape. That's the one I chose. That's my, and yo agape is the song that's playing during the trailer. It's, I didn't, I I really didn't know what to do here, man. Uh, The score is unbelievable, but agape means divine love. You know, it's what the fuck, you know, these guys really like search for shit to like, they, they know what they're doing, man. You know, they know what they're doing. And, it this score I listen to the score all the time, all the time. I, I listen to Bertel, Moonlight, and Beale Street. I find them to be like they've helped me become a better person. They've actually allowed me to s- sit and just think and reflect and actually think about maybe stuff I haven't done right. You know, maybe ways I can I can. <laughs> Uh, progress and get better and learn and grow and it's that's fucking nuts when music can do that to you music from a movie and uh hats off to Bertel man for 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 doing that with this one because you're right man arrows arrows will uh, you know like go through you it's crazy (laughs) it is yeah I don't know 
what it is about that, but Bertel just captured the, the essence of love in that bit of score. And it's a love that you believe and it's a love that grows beyond the movie and grows beyond him and beyond Barry Jenkins and beyond every actor in this film. It's a feeling. He captures a feeling that does not escape you. And that's, that's rare. That is incredibly rare for any musician, let alone a film composer. Exactly. God. Stellar stuff. I hope people go on Spotify or wherever, you know, they Apple listen to music, music, listen to music and, uh, check the score out, you know, just go on a drive. Yeah. You know, it, it'll, you know, it'll make you think it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew, I knew that was, you know, this is, it's a profound score. So I knew we were going to have to dig deep for that one, but uh, this is, this is one I've thought about all day. And I actually just chose maybe an hour before we started recording the PSH yes. Philip Seymour Hoffman who won the movie Connor. Well, this was, like you said, this was tough. There is, everyone is really given their a game here, but I think there's one person who stands above everybody. And that is Kiki Lane. I love it. I love it. (laughs) She plays Tish. um, Our, our heroine, so to speak, a woman is thrust into both the happiest and saddest moment of her life by, you know, she's going to have a baby, but the man she loves is falsely accused of rape and imprisoned. And she handles this with such a understated strength that really, like, I think shows her as like one of the strongest um, female protagonists of the of the decade. Really, I think she's she's so good at being as emotional as she needs to be. Like, she does what must be done the entire movie. She never compromises. She never sacrifices who she is or who Fani is. She believes in their love and she fights for it. And I love that. I was, yeah, I was entranced by her. I was very impressed. Ah, man, I love that. She's stunning, a gorgeous, gorgeous performer. And everything you pointed out is, is a hundred percent correct. And neither her or Stefan James got, got, you know, much credit at all. Yeah. for what they're doing but you know obviously they're they're kind of carrying the movie you know it's a love story about these two people and like you said a guy who's wrongfully convicted and you know goes to goes to prison and that's what the movie's about is tish is pregnant and they gotta deal with this shit it's fucking really hard while the country they live in is fucking racist yeah uh, how about how about your man uh ed, what's his name ed screen or ed scrine is that uh ed screen yeah 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 uh playing that fucking cop oh man yeah it's it's surprisingly easy to find mean looking white actors to play cops in films like this and oh, well, there yeah there's so many there's so many middle young middle-aged white guys you to choose from yeah <laughs> there's just like an evil that was so prevalent and accepted at that time and it really, you know, like it's no wonder James Baldwin left the country. I mean, yeah. He had the means. That's the unfortunate part. Most, you know, most African-Americans did not have the means. And I'm sure if they did, a lot of them would have left. Yeah. Um, you know, fuck, I was, you know, throughout the whole Trump presidency, like my family was thinking about it. And uh, 
you know, there's certain times in this country where you feel in danger simply because of who you are. And I don't like when we feel that creeping back up. I feel like we've had, you know, ups and downs over the past 50 years, mostly downs. There were some, you know, there's brief moments of up. Yeah. And we're in the fucking downs again. (laughs) And this movie just kind of made me, you know, scenes like that made me think about it. Like what really in the past 50 years has changed? And that's sad. It's unfortunate, but you know, there's a lot that we still have to fucking work on when it comes to racial relations in this country. Yeah. hundred percent. When, when those things reflect something from, you know, 50, 60 years ago reflects what's happening today. Yeah. It is, it is. And, uh, you know, film is a, a great way to make people aware of that, right. To tell stories, to give perspective, uh, to enlighten people and share stuff. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's, it's gonna be hard for people to learn, you know, uh, you got, you have to share these stories. And I, I think Bill street, you know, is, is, is one of those where you can, it's, it's very focused and has very specific moments where it's like, that's right. And that's wrong. And uh, you, you should clearly pick the right side, uh, you know? And it's, yeah, I, I, I love, I love that Barry Jenkins did that, man. <laughs> I really do. I think he could have done anything he wanted after moonlight and he, he chose to, you know, tell this story that, that probably needed to be told. Uh, maybe not this specific one, but something like it. Well, you know, like I said at the beginning of this episode, the first time I saw this movie, I, it did not resonate with me as much as I thought it would. I didn't have enough, to, you know, I didn't have a lot to, t- to take away from it. But upon this second viewing, you know, I had the documentary that I had just watched. I have, you know, people in my own family exploring their own cultural identity for the first time. So I have more in the tank watching this now and I felt I felt it I did feel it and I I think that's very interesting uh some movies do take you know more than once to fully appreciate and this was one of those for me yeah ah man so cool it but it doesn't really take uh more than one to appreciate Kiki Lane true very true (laughs) she's she's amazing she's just kind of a rock star in this movie I think she's gonna have a really cool career uh Oh boy, thought about this for a long time. I think um, think the entire family does a great job. Think, I think uh, you know Tish's sister is great. Ernestine, parents are great. Fonny's great, but there's not anybody quite like Daniel Cardi, played by Brian Tyree Henry. The scene where Fonny runs into his buddy and. Uh, he invites him over to hang out and have some beers, smoke some cigarettes, and chat about some stuff. And Brian Tyree Henry comes in and acts his fucking ass off. The guy's British, first off, <laughs> uh, and has been a rock star the past few years. You know, in uh, FX is uh, Atlanta, and he's great in Widows, uh, White Boy Rick. Um, what else is he in? Uh, Joker, he was really cool in. I think he's gonna have a he's gonna have a real nice career. But what he's doing in Beale Street is uh, if it forces you to kind of, huh? Well, you know what's just the way he breathes. The guy has stress 
written all over his body. Uh, and again, this guy's, this is a British actor, you know, playing this character that's been released from prison, you know, like three months ago and he's talking to Fonny and that bit of the movie, even though it's not too long, it's to me the most impressive part of the film when the music kind of, you know, increases, intensifies for a moment. And it's not about love for a minute. It's about the racial inequality in our country. And it's about the fucked up prison system. And Daniel Cardi breaks that down and looks him dead in the eye before Fonny knows that he's going to go to prison. And he looks him dead in the eye and tells him they can do whatever the fuck they want to do with you in there. And you're forced to do, I just weep. I start weeping when I'm watching this character, Daniel Cardi talk about prison and how it was this torturous, torturous two year experience. And it, I, I would have felt wrong if I wouldn't have written his name down, honestly, to be honest with you. I'm rocked by that moment in that movie. I'm rocked by that moment in the book. And I, I really didn't picture Brian Tyree Henry as the guy who would play that. But that, that's, those are the best things you know, that happen in movies with performers is that shit, right? Is, is when someone who just, what? This British guy? No way. And, you know, I'll, I'll shout him out on Widows, him and Daniel Kaluuya both British guys who just knock that shit out of the park. And, and, you know, I love when that, that wall gets breaking down and, you know, you, you just allow a guy to do his job. And Brian Tyree does a lot with that little bit of script that he, that he has. He, he does a whole lot. And I, I, uh, that's a scene that I will watch forever. And of course is my Deacons. I've talked about it a ton. So I'll, I'll let you go ahead and finish this off with your Deacons. Okay. Well, I've talked about mine as well. It's the entire scene from <laughs> with the family from the slap to the leaving. I mean, Tish just calling her a dried up yellow cunt. I mean, you don't get much, you know, harsher than that. And just the constant sling of like creative insults and Regina King pleading with Fonny's mom that it doesn't matter how the child got here. She's, you know, this is your grandchild. You like, what kind of Christian are you? if you're going to just throw this child away because of how it got here and being such a good Christian, it all goes in one year out the other, because that's the kind of person she is faith above family. And that is sick. And yeah, I love that scene to death because it reinforces how strong Tish's family is and how like they will not let anything break them. And almost, you know, it also shows you how fragile Fonny's family is. It took, this conversation to bring her, you know, bring Fonny's mother to tears, almost like, you know, she's mourning the destruction of her son. It's so fucked up, but it plays with that dynamic of, you know, who these people are and who these people are. And I love that. I love how you get to see the upbringing. And yeah, I think that's Kiki Lane's strongest scene. I think that's Regina King's strongest scene. I'm yeah, I'm very impressed by that, by that bit. And yeah, talk about character introduction. I mean, <laughs> crazy to open your movie like that. I can't argue with that uh, on that one. I, I could, if this movie was just on and I see that scene, it's going to be hard for me to turn it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's, it just, it kind of opens up like a stage play and just everyone's on their P's and Q's. And you, you talked about just some of those, 
those kind of sly remarks. And I, I love when Ernestine, the sister comes in between them and is like, I've been, you know, staring at your Adam's apple and I can't decide if I want to rip it out with my fingers or my teeth. And if you touch my baby sister, I'm gonna have to make up my mind real quick. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Fantastic. It's, they're all backing her up and that's, that's beautiful. That's family right there. God damn it. Yeah, they, they they back her up, but they also make sure she's doing her part too. You know, it's yeah. not a it's not a babying thing. It's a we got your back. Do your part, we'll do ours. You know, it's a let's move as a unit. And and oh man, talk about you know another scene that I thought about that was really cool is the dads at the bar talking about how they're going to make this money. Oh man, that is that was I, I, when I, when we were in the theater, I was like, oh, I kind of want to see that movie. You know, a movie. <laughs> a two hour movie just about them stealing money. I want to see that. (laughs) Amazing. But it's fucked up that that's what, that's their first bet. Their first idea is we got to hustle. We got to steal. It's the only way. And late, you know, earlier, earlier in that scene, when Bonnie's mom asked, who's going to raise this child and Tish without things like I am like the mother and the the father, the mother is going to raise this child. Like it's, Oh, that scene upset me so fucking much, but I'm so glad that they all just said, like, get the fuck out. Get your shit. Get the fuck out. Well, yeah, <laughs> Regina King, she literally says, get your shit. <laughs> and it's like Regina King's been saying that for 30 years. And to hear her say it in that setting, in that environment, while acting her ass off, get your shit. Like, oh, she still has the Regina. You know, it's still that's still in her no matter what. And it's beautiful. I, I like to believe that she just fucking said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's great. Like the only thing that would have made that shit. better is if she yelled "Bye, Felicia" and closed. The yeah. Door. Yes. <laughs> yes. God, I love it. Love Regina. I love being able to talk about this film and her performance and all the performances in it. How about Dave Franco? Good Lord, you know, as the uh, he's a the Jewish like real estate guy, essentially landlord, and he's helping them get this. That's a really cool scene when they Stefan James is doing a great bit of acting when he's like, hey, help me with this. You know, they're picking stuff up and, it, you know, he's just trying to make Tish feel more comfortable. It's really cool. Yeah, I was surprised to see Pedro Pascal as a y- yes, Puerto yes. Rican crime lord. Yeah. Was- Diego Luna. Yeah. Diego Luna as the the waiter. Yeah. Who did. Uh, I think, you know, I'm just going to make a connection here. This might be completely off, but, you know, on Criterion Channel, there's the Adventures in Movie Going. And Barry Jenkins, one of the very first things I ever did was go to Barry Jenkins' section that he has a few movies he selected. And one of them is Itumama Tambien. And Diego Luna gives a, you know, spectacular performance in that film. And Barry Jenkins talks about it. I'm wondering if that's full circle, if he's like, I need to have him in one of my movies. <laughs> Yeah, probably and, and he's and he's like hey i'm gonna use this this guy who's you know in in new york um yeah i'm gonna use i'm gonna use diego luna i i love that that's so cool i was like wait maybe you know you make those connections in movies and uh that's that's part of the fun i yeah i would bet that's probably it i mean you become a you know an acclaimed filmmaker at some point you get your pick of who you want in your movie and yeah especially if they're you know not expensive <laughs> and i doubt diego luna's price is huge yeah, no, I, I think I think Diego Luna is probably willing to willing to work with people a little bit, and uh, I, I like that about him. He's done all kinds of crazy shit. It's cool. Yeah, I like the you know parade of 
faces in this movie. People who just were willing to accept a small bit part because they wanted to work with Barry Jenkins. Yeah, I I get to be a part of this wonderful script, be a part of the legacy of Barry Jenkins filmography, work with this, the most well, you know, adapted, most well made James Baldwin, anything, you know, um, that's, that's a cool thing to be a part of for sure. Uh, as, as a, as an artist, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm not, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was totally the case. Jenkins being a fan of E2 Mama Tommy and, and reaching out. <laughs> hey Diego yeah I, I really liked what you were doing 20 years ago you want to be in my movie <laughs> you never know you never know wonderful ah oh, man um, we have a really really interesting week coming up and I want I wanted you to be able to uh, you know talk a bit about yeah, the film we're doing next week, it's a, you know, it's a Christmas classic on this show. Film guys, we're doing Batman Returns, and I can't wait for that. But next week on this show, I'll let you introduce it because <laughs> I, you know, I think it's a Christmas classic for you, you know, and uh, I want you to be able to, to, to say why. Well, it's a Christmas classic to a lot of people. It's not our usual fare, <laughs> but we, you know, we wanted an opportunity to spotlight this movie it was up for some technical awards and that fucking counts uh (laughs) when terrorists seize nakatomi plaza only one man can save christmas and that is nypd officer john mcclain in one of the greatest action movies of all time 1988's die hard (laughs) yes oh man so that's uh if I'm not mistaken, that would be the 61st Academy Awards, which is when uh, Rain Man won. Uh, but of course, we're going to be diving in on Die Hard and talking about Die Hard because it's Christmas time. Because this will be uh, this will be the uh, uh, show the week of Christmas, right? So after that, Christmas will be over, and we'll move on to other shit. But we w- yeah, we want to do a Christmas-oriented movie on Oscar Sunday, at least one. So here we go. Yeah, and we could have done It's a Wonderful Life. We could have done The Bishop's Wife. We could have done Miracle on 34th Street. But we are 25-year-old dudes who wanted to talk about fucking Die Hard. <laughs> yes. You know, you know, you know. I also, we, we could do Home Alone. That was up for an award. Scrooged was up for an award. Yeah, we got, we got, we got all kinds of shit. But yeah, to be able to do Batman Returns and Die Hard back-to-back uh, this week is going to be a blast on the two shows. I, I can't wait. Yeah, super fucking psyched. And with that, Let's talk about what happened this week in film because it was a monster week. (laughs) So, so much. Obviously, Disney made a number of announcements this week regarding their film slate for the next roughly 10 years. And, uh, I mean, holy shit. We'll get to that. Uh, But first, there's two trailers I wanted to bring up. (laughs) The first is a film called The Marksman, starring Liam Neeson as, get this, a Texas cowboy. And, oh, great. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sure. And uh, he saves a kid from the cartel, and Border Patrol decides to take this kid across the country. Border, uh, the cartel does not like that, and they hunt him down. Basically, it is taken in Texas. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe we'll do it on the sneak preview if it does get a release that we can access. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not chasing that one down. Yeah. <laughs> the other one, though, I'm going to chase down to the ends of the earth. 
and that is nobody. <laughs> oh, yeah, this looks great. Holy shit. Bob Odenkirk as an action star from the guys who did John Wick. Are you fucking kidding me? Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, yeah. I don't really need to know anything else, you know? It's that kind of shit. Yeah, and apparently, like, Odenkirk's been training for this for two years. Like, this movie was filmed almost in secret. And, God, I love that. I love surprise, awesome shit. <laughs> so cool. With that, uh, no, I have one more non-Disney update. Um, it's been announced that they are doing a biopic on the famous dance partnership of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, currently titled Fred and Ginger. Uh, Jamie Bell is playing Fred Astaire. Margaret Qualley is playing Ginger Rogers. So interesting cast. Uh, I'm sure it'll be fascinating. And now let's get to the stuff I really want to talk about. <laughs> and that is the, yeah. is the announcements. So let's start with Spider-Man. Yes. Alfred Molina has joined the cast of Spider-Man 3 as Dr. Otto Octavius, reprising his role from 2004's Spider-Man 2. Holy shit. The implications of this are unbelievable to Spider-Man fans everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Yes. There's so many things that, uh, so many theories already uh, online of what could, what could possibly happen. Yeah. With J.K. Simmons returning as J. Jonah Jameson and Jamie Foxx returning as Electro, and now Molina as Doc Ock, you have elements of various, you know, not connected Spider-Man franchises now connected. So basically, like, Marvel is almost for sure doing a live-action Spider-Verse movie. They just haven't said that. <laughs> uh, I've heard Peter, I've heard Tobey Maguire was seen uh, being fitted for costumes somewhere. Uh, so I would not, you know, it's not like he's got a lot going on right now. I think yeah. he's, he's going to need this. And then Andrew Garfield, <laughs> I'm sure, is going to be game as well. They'll, I'm sure Marvel's going to pay those guys whatever they want to make this happen. Oh, man. So cool. The and, possibilities. The, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of mind-blowing. And, uh, you know, we, we will be covering this as it kind of, you know, opens up and we, we hear more. We'll always be talking about it on Sneak Preview and covering whatever we can. And if you are unaware of what the sneak preview is, that is our upcoming show uh, that's going to be covering new releases that premieres January 4th. Uh, if you want the full rundown on that, check out our filmgasm on the fifth element where we talked about that. Uh, more Spider-Man. Uh, Charlie Cox has apparently joined the cast returning as Matt Murdock from the Daredevil series on Netflix. So Mark, incredible. The, uh, they had a deal with Netflix, which meant, you know, two years after cancellation, they cannot use the characters. Two years is up. So Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, The Punisher, all up for grabs now. <laughs> Incredible. And it looks like Marvel is taking advantage of this. So, goddamn. Kevin Feige, you're the fucking best. Like, to a, to a comic geek who has gotten to see this unfold over the past 10 years, I like, holy shit, man. <laughs> it's just getting better and it's unbelievable yeah he's one of, one of the guy one of the guys that's making it totally worth it unreal more marvel news michelle pfeiffer is returning as janet van dyne in ant-man and the wasp quantumania uh paul rudd of course returning michael douglas uh evangeline lily uh the villain has been confirmed as kang the conqueror the time traveling warlord and more unbelievable implications for the future of the Marvel Universe. Catherine yep. Newton is now playing Cassie Lang. 
uh, Scott's daughter. So uh, that'll be interesting. We recently Hell saw yeah. her in Freaky. She was awesome. Rachel McAdams is returning to play Dr. Christine Palmer in Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, <laughs> Christian Bale's secret character in Thor Love and Thunder has been revealed. He's playing the villainous Gore the God Butcher. So, holy shit, my friends. Christian Bale playing a guy who, well, butchers gods, according to the job description. Uh, I know nothing about this character, but he sounds like a fucking badass, and I can't wait to see him go up against Thor. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see Christian Bale go against Hemsworth. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. And Jamie Alexander is also returning as Lady Sif, and the Guardians of the Galaxy are making an appearance as well. So this movie's going to be fucking crazy. <laughs> Bonkers. Mm. And I'm only covering the mar- the movie stuff. There's a whole bunch of TV stuff, you know, the Loki trailer, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier trailer. That's TV. That's not our not our realm. So I'm, I'm leaving that aside. Check that out on your own. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Too much. We would be here all day. Um, Marvel officially announced the Fantastic Four is in the works with Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home director John Watts helming it. So he's already proven he can balance superhero action with awesome comedy. I think the perfect guy to helm a Fantastic Four movie. Can't wait. Yeah. No, it's finally, finally going to work. Finally. Yeah, fine. Yeah, four unbelievably shitty Fantastic Fours, one of which has never been officially released. <laughs> and it's just been downhill from there. That's yeah. even fucking possible. <laughs> Disney announced they will not be recasting Chadwick Boseman in Black Panther 2. It will instead be focusing on the greater world of Wakanda and expanding the characters of the country. And uh, Brian Coogler is returning to direct that. Uh, apart from Chadwick Boseman's unfortunate passing, the rest of the cast is returning as well. Very exciting. Yeah, extremely exciting and, and mad respect for that. Yeah. Bittersweet, but that movie, because of what happened, that could be the movie that breaks Avengers Endgame's record. <laughs> yeah, very well could. You're right. Assuming we get the theaters back. Well, yeah, yeah, that's uh, we're we're thinking with uh, yeah. I'm th- yeah, I'm thinking you know with 2023 eyes here, <laughs> not 2020. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Um, perhaps the strangest announcement. I don't think anybody was expecting this. Pixar is doing a Buzz Lightyear prequel movie, focusing on the characters' years at Star Command Academy. It's called Lightyear. Chris Evans is replacing Tim Allen as the voice of the character. And it's not Buzz Lightyear as a toy. It's Buzz Lightyear as a space ranger, like the character that the toy and Toy Story is based on. It's a very weird way to do this, but very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm in. I'll see it. It's Chris Evans or Chris Pratt? Which one is it? Chris Evans. Oh, sweet. That's that's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Captain America is Buzz Lightyear now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He He moved on from... One one franchise to another. <laughs> yep. To infinity and beyond. So, and then finally, uh, Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins has announced that she is helming Star Wars Rogue Squadron, a movie that's going to focus on the X-Wing pilots of the Star Wars franchise. Who knows when the timeline will be, if this will be, you know, mid-Empire or post-Empire. I don't know. But it's set, it's coming out in 2023. It's basically going to be Star Wars Top Gun. So fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the see, that's what I would be interested in. You know, I don't really care too much for Star Wars. I 
I'm I'm very impressed by some some of the design production design and and whatnot. But I, uh, you know, I'm just not, never been a huge huge fan. I never it never latched onto me when I was a kid. But if you're gonna fuck with space, fuck with space. And this is the kind of shit, like you said, Top Gun, Star Wars, Top Gun. That's the kind of shit I I, I want to see when I'm going to see Star Wars. Well, one thing The Mandalorian has shown is that you don't need a Skywalker for Star Wars to work. In fact, no, we no. prefer we don't have one. hundred <laughs> um, percent. What The Mandalorian has done is explored the gritty underbelly that Star Wars has always teased. You know, the bounty hunters, the criminals, the gangs, the, you know, terrorists. Like, this is a fully functional universe that doesn't always need, you know, the Jedi and the ongoing good versus evil fight. And I love that they're actually, they're finally starting to kind of branch off of this and show us different parts of this giant universe. And I firmly believe the future of Star Wars is in, is in TV. And uh, with these occasional, you know, bursts of off the, off the wall films, Taika Waititi's getting one too. Uh, still be very secretive on that. But I think Rogue Squadron is going to be really cool. Um, and uh, I can't wait to see what they're doing with the Mandalorian and Ahsoka and the Bad Batch and Andor and all these crazy Star Wars series they've announced. Like, this is just the bonkers. To be, to be a Marvel geek and a Star Wars fan, I, 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 I'm freaking out for th- for two days now. I've been losing my shit. <laughs> well, yeah, you you your schedule's set for the next five years. Yeah, yeah. I there goes you know any plans of checking out you know the boys or Man in the High Castle or The Handmaid's Tale. All that's dead to me. It's now Marvel and Star Wars for the, the pretty much the rest of my life. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> and I am not complaining. Uh, oh man, yeah, I, don't, I, I you, you know, I TV, I kind of, you know, take or leave it. Depends what you know. Really depends on what it is, and yeah, I just, I'll just be, you know, and, you know, I, I, I'm like gonna see some of that stuff, but like all of the TV, the Star Wars, I just, I haven't even watched any of the Mandalorian because it's just, it's, it's not really my bag. Like, uh, I, I've heard it's great. And I should try it out, but I'm like, yeah, but I, I also want to watch like all these movies and I just yeah. always choose the movies first. Well, you know, after Supernatural ended, like that was the only series I was keeping up with for so long with that, with that done, there's nothing really filling the void. I mean, you know, when Better Call Saul comes back, I'll watch that. But like the Mandalorian is kind of it. So with all these new series, you know, I'm going to have something to actually look forward to on the TV side of things. And thankfully, you know, it's not all going to be at once. That would be a fucking nightmare it's gradual so well, yeah they know they know what they're doing yeah yeah <laughs> i'm just excited to get to see all this shit yeah no it's incredible it's the product's usually really good so they actually they actually care about it and uh man it's nuts it's nuts that they can you know yesterday i just if you could feel people were excited about it you could feel it even though in this weird 2020 you know, this year that's just been so bizarre and been so tough for so many people. You you could feel like an actual positive energy because of all that news. That's pretty powerful. You know, that's pretty cool because people care about this shit. You know, it's it's important stuff. We've had so little to be excited about this year. And this represents hope for the entertainment industry. This is, you know, Disney isn't, you know, packing up shop here. 
they have plans for the next 10 fucking years because nothing, not even a global pandemic can stop the house of mouse. And I've never been, you know, I'm happy about that for once. (laughs) I'm happy that Disney has the capabilities to pull this shit off because I want to be excited. (laughs) I want to look forward to something. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, we've done God knows how many episodes in quarantine and I'm, you know, I'm proud of the work we've done. I think we've, for what we've had to deal with this, this uh, pandemic, like this year, I think we coped pretty goddamn well. (laughs) Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's, that's a way to challenge your creativity when, you know, you're thrown into a tough spot. You're like, well, how can I have fun by just what I know and what I can, you know, bring up what, what conversations have I not had that maybe I've, I've passed on. And that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to what we've got in the near future. Now it's going to be a whole new landscape. It's, it's exciting. Extremely, extremely. That, that concludes our broadcast day. <laughs> that was good. Uh, yeah. Def- very emotional episode. I could tell. Extremely, extremely emotional. It's a powerhouse movie. Yeah. And we're going to get fucking ridiculous next week with Die Hard. <laughs> oh, dude. Cannot wait. Yeah. And of course, Batman returns on Filmgasm this Wednesday. Unbelievable. So much fun. We've done so few superhero movies. So when we get to do one, it's, it's a treat. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Especially Batman. God, we love Batman. Especially Batman Returns. <laughs> ah so much to talk about yeah that's gonna be a long one i can't wait and uh we are launching the sneak preview on january 4th with our second annual gazi awards which we'll talk about what we believe is the best of 2020 in regards to film and can't wait for that and then every episode going forward is going to cover either a new release film from streaming or theaters whatever we are able to see and uh okay you know really weird top fives and recasts and drafts and just all sorts of cool movie shit that we're going to experiment with on that show. It's going to be like the most fun corner of this podcast world we've created. Yeah. I think it's a place that any movie fan can go, you know, yeah. filmgasm is, you know, genre films and Oscar Sunday is Oscar nominated stuff, but sneak preview is going to be a bit of everything. It's going to be a lot of fun with the whole team. Everyone's going to be involved on that one. We're seven people strong now. I will be introducing our two newest members on this week's Filmgasm. So stay tuned to that. Very exciting. Had a better blast. Stay tuned for more in the future, and we will see you next Sunday. Mm-hmm.